You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law with Kyla Lee and Paul Doroshenko of Acumen Law Corporation. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me back on. Every time. I'm the guest host at the, yes, um, or, I mean, the co-host, 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 yes. I'm the co-host. Just we also have host. Kyla's dog here today, so yeah. bear with us if there's guest, any little barking dog. in the back. Yeah. Um, but you, you had a good day today. You had a good experience in traffic court. Oh, I had a fun day, but it, I mean, it wasn't that much different than any other experience I have in traffic court. It's just that it was, I, you know, I don't do it that often it's anymore. Like you actually had what? to go to traffic court. Yeah, I know. Well, no, I go to traffic court regularly. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of the time I negotiate it out because yeah. of various reasons, things that I can find to explain to the police officer why it shouldn't go the way that they think. But today uh, it was pretty clear I couldn't negotiate it out. So I had no choice but to run a trial uh, on the fly. And it was... Uh, the funny thing is, is you know, when I go to traffic court, it's it's the rumple experience because <laughs> you just basically handed the file. You don't have much to go with. You got to get it out in your cross examination. You got to pick mm-hmm. what you need from direct examination. If, if you get disclosure, it's a page of notes that are mostly just scribbles. Sure, I, I mean I know all of their. You know, yeah, I can funny little pretty codes. much figure out what their codes are. But the uh, I've done it. I mean, I used to do it all the time, right? But the. Um, uh, I guess the uh, the QC part means that I don't have to go to traffic court that much. But <laughs> yeah, you make me do it. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, I but like you, it. But you I do like a great it. job. I yeah. like going to traffic court too because I get to talk to the police officers. And I, I ended had up seven tickets today, and no one was convicted. No, oh, well, there you go. Well, I had one, but I had to run a trial, and it was uh, you know, it's every different courthouse uses it differently, and in most of the courthouses in the Lower Mainland, actually, in all of the courthouses in the Lower Mainland, when you run a traffic ticket, uh, the police officer who issued the ticket is the one who prosecutes the ticket. But I was in Colwood today. I was at the Western Communities Courthouse and what they do there, not always, um, but uh, a couple times I've been there is they've got, uh, you know, one or two officers who will prosecute the ticket. Um, and you'll have then the officer who, who gave the, uh, uh, who issued the ticket will take the witness stand and provide evidence. And it was clear to me immediately when I talked to the police officer who issued the ticket that there was not going to be any resolution to it short mm-hmm. of a trial. Um, so I conducted a trial and um, on the fly again. And I haven't done it. I haven't done a speeding ticket trial in at least a year or maybe two. I mean, you do them all. It's got to be more more longer than that, I think. Yeah. I, I, I think I I started one where that just fell apart in about two seconds. Um, and how and, many seconds did this one take? Oh, this one took almost an hour. It took almost an hour and it was probably the worst hour for this police officer in a while. But the... Uh, the, uh, yeah, it just, uh, his, his direct examination went fairly well. The police officer who, uh, conducted it, um, I, you know, I was wondering if he had any legal training. There are, you know, police officers who are former lawyers and, mm-hmm. uh, he was conducting it in, in such a way. I mean, his questions were occasionally leading, but for the most part, his questions were good direct examination questions. Right. Uh, but it started to fall apart in cross-examination right away. And I, I you know, I, I, I rarely do I feel sorry for witnesses uh, when I'm cross-examining them, uh, particularly police officers when they are evasive on things. Yeah, well, I mean, you sign up to be a professional witness. Yeah, well, that's and that's the best thing is 
cross-examining professional witnesses because you know you can box them in in so many different ways but yeah and also there's only so many ways that they can avoid answering your questions so eventually you just get accustomed to you know this slimy thing and that slippery thing and and this evasive thing and you have a way of dealing with it well you let them be evasive a little bit and then other times you you know refuse to let them be evasive and just continue to ask the question until you get it answered well don't Uh, give away all the secrets but but the funnest thing today was the police officer who was conducting it you could see the pain. You could see the suffering as it was falling apart. And <laughs> at some point he said, he's badgering the witness, your worship. He's badgering the witness. I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen that except on TV. I don't think yeah. I've ever heard that in court. Anyway, <laughs> I wasn't badgering the witness. I was getting all the truth, but I wasn't being mean. I mean, I've, you know, there have been times you've seen me. I have been mean. I've uh, seen you be mean. I'm lovely, lovely, lovely until the trial starts. And then I do my job, right? Mm-hmm. I'm <laughs> zealous oh, advocate. Right. I thought you were talking about like personally. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not mean. I'm not mean. I can hear your dog barking. He's frustrated. Probably wants to go outside. Anyway. Yeah. Well, he can't. Um, the uh, okay. So in the end, I assume. Well, they it fell apart, and it, the officer yeah. who was prosecuting it stood up and said, "Oh, we'd like to withdraw this ticket to withdraw it, please." And I, said, I think he was directing a stay, Your Worship. So that was funny. <laughs> but the uh, I felt sorry for him because the um, you know after that he had to conduct uh, trials with the same police right. officer, same witness with lay litigants and you know they've just every lay litigant wants to stand up and go can i get that guy now yeah exactly (laughs) i'm sorry i'm already out the door (laughs) yeah i'm running away i don't have time actually i didn't run away i ended up talking to that police officer who conducted the trial for probably about half an hour 45 minutes because he was lovely and uh had some questions about other things that we've been doing and uh it's funny because there's a certain amount of fame comes from the fact that my face has been on some billboards and i thought our billboard had been taken down uh on the pat bay highway it's not? It's not. It's still there. Um, it's still there. I had, uh, you know, I'd given instructions. And the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, they told me that the reason that the price had gone up was that there was so much demand. Maybe there's not. obviously not. Yeah. Well, you know, whatever, there's a free billboard. I know, but the thing is, like, with a billboard, there, there, there's limits to the use of a billboard, right? Like, you can use a billboard to increase just general knowledge about yeah. about your product or service it's probably really good if you're like on the titanic and it sinks and you need something to float on i don't think it's useful for that but the uh <laughs> no i mean uh, eventually people just become so accustomed to seeing that there that it's diminished yeah. returns like you you it, you have a uh, oh there's that uh, douchey lawyer with a billboard yeah exactly there's a there's a <laughs> lag time at the beginning before a billboard gives you anything and you've got to be willing to suck up that uh you know a few months of of getting really nothing out of it and then there's sort of the little sweet time where the billboard's giving you something and then after that people are forgetting about the billboard or you've got that market already mm-hmm. um so you know we get a significant number of cases from vancouver island and victoria so i was surprised driving back from victoria tonight my billboard's still up there um well there you go yeah did you ever think your face would be 30 feet high i'm i'm i look so much better on that photo (laughs) it's not 30 feet high i have no idea how big it is but i look so much better in that photo than i do now in real life I know. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Well, it was 10 years ago. You know, you look at Barack Obama in the 10-year period from the beginning to the end uh, there. He went from looking like a, you know, young man, and now he looks like an older, tired guy. And uh, No, no, no. Barack Obama's got a whole silver fox thing going for him. Maybe I'll develop that. I'm going to start working on it. A I've girl deci- can dream, Paul. I've decided to stop growing my hair, or stop cutting my hair, rather. Just like... I'm just, I'm just going to let it go long and silver and, and, and yeah. 
Safari. You know, long-haired, freaky people. Not, 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 not like ponytail long, but just kind of like full and thick because full. my hair is not really that full and thick. Maybe I can get some product or something. Anyway, so maybe when, uh, maybe we should just get a billboard with a, a new photo with me with, uh, with silver hair or something. We don't want to scare people away. Yeah. Um, anyway, okay. So, but I, what, what I wanted to ask you about. I always we, think of, I always think of, 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 uh, Better Call Saul when I, <laughs> when I see our billboard and it's in AccuBlue. Um, so. It's a trademarked anyway, color. Trademarked color, AccuBlue. the Blue. next, it's Pantone's next color of the year. AccuBlue, yeah. Yeah, AccuBlue. Anyway. Um, no, the reason I brought up your speeding ticket trial today um, is because you've had such a long history of defending traffic tickets. And I wanted to ask you, estimate how many traffic tickets you've done in your almost 20 years as a lawyer. Thousands. Thousands. I don't know. I don't know. I started doing them at the beginning, right? Like, um, like 2,000, 3,000, 5,000? Maybe, maybe 2,000. Um, I don't know. Not Probably not as many as you. I mean, you've probably done more in the last six years than I did over my career. Oh, I've done a lot, but I don't you've know. You've done yeah. a lot. I think you've done at least a couple thousand. I guess I did yeah. seven today, so, yeah. and that's a normal day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about it. We, um, you know, Kevin Filco and I created BC Driving Lawyers like 10 years ago. Uh, and we get the calls one day and he gets the calls the other day and we split that up because mm -hmm. we simply can't handle the volume every day of that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we got very good and Kevin got very good at, uh, at defending traffic tickets, but he and I used to use more or less the same method. I don't know if he still uses the same method. He's on vacation that, right now. I, I know the people that work for him use the same methods as me because I was trying to use my methods today. And, and the officer was like, oh yeah. Mike Thane from Kevin Filco's office said to do this. And I was like, I invented that. Yes, I <laughs> know. Stole well, that, yeah, but that's the negotiating. That's <laughs> yeah. the negotiating. I mean, the trial method, I don't know what trial method they use, but my trial method, as you know, was to get all of the manuals I could yeah. get uh, and make sure I, you know, wrote a very good cross-examination that I can pick up and run with and I can still run with it. And it's, it's good. You know? Okay. So last week when we were in Texas, I did a couple interviews with some of the lawyers that we met there. And um, you listened afterwards to the interview with Joe McGrath. Um, but I also did an interview with the next person, and we're going to clip it in here, um, Jonathan Fisher, who also practices in Virginia. And he has defended, I kid you not, 25,000 traffic tickets. So we're here today at uh, the close of the Serious Science Seminar at the National College of DUI Defense with Jonathan Fisher from Blacksburg, Virginia, which I have no idea where it is, but I'm told that it's the west side of the state, which is non-urban and not near D.C. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm, a, I'm a country boy, uh, born, and, born and bred. All right. And your practice focuses, obviously, like everybody here, on uh, DUI cases, impaired driving cases, but you also have a very significant practice in traffic ticket defense. Correct. Pretty much anything. I do 100% criminal defense, and it's more or less evolved into um, uh, traffic, uh, speeding, reckless driving, DUI, and other traffic-related things, and then things that tend to go along with that, uh, drug offenses, um, right. stuff like that. Okay. And you told me, and I, I, I want everyone who listens to this to hear this because it's the largest number I've ever heard. How many traffic tickets have you done? Little over twenty five thousand speed. <laughs> just that's just speed related that's just cases. Speed. Right? So like so, stop signs and other stuff. Yeah, other stuff not included in that number. That's just oh. speeding ticket and reckless driving by speed. How long have you been practicing? Seventeen years. Seventeen years. Okay. All right. So roughly. 
1500 a year? Well, right, but for the first five years, I really wasn't doing traffic-oriented. Uh, so so since I started that, probably a little more than that, actually, probably more around 2000 a year. So do you just show up on, like, traffic court day, and you're like, I've got half the list? <laughs> Not anymore. You know, it used to be... Uh, uh, you know, I did a higher volume, and that's where I accumulated those numbers, and I'm able to market now. But the reality of the situation is um, I feel like I do a much better job now that I don't do so many. Right. Um, so, More uh, time but, to focus on. So there's other folks who fill those former shoes I was in of high volume, low dollar, and, and now I try to do a great job for everyone and give everybody personal attention. And, you know, all my clients get my cell phone number, and that's just kind of oh how, <laughs> how I do things, and, and I enjoyed that better. Okay. I'm meticulous. Uh, I like. I want to make sure things are done the, the right way. So how does traffic court work in Virginia? Well, it varies. And again, I'm stationed in the western part of the state, but I've appeared in over 100 different uh, jurisdictions in Virginia wow. uh, all over the state. And um, it really varies. I mean, I think it's any of us who are in the legal profession know that you know, it depends on your judge, it depends on your prosecutor, it depends on your officers, it depends on your clerks sometimes as far as scheduling. So so do you have like the officers prosecuting the ticket or is there like an actual prosecutor for traffic court? It varies. It Again, varies. that's up okay. to the individual locality. Some people don't get involved in anything. Um, some will only get involved in higher speed, uh, regular traffic mm -hmm. cases. Pretty much everywhere, the, the, the Commonwealth Attorney is going to be involved in DUIs. But right. other than that, it really varies. And is, it, is your court system broken down where you have like a court that deals with DUIs and sort of criminal things versus traffic tickets? Or is it all the same court? Because in British Columbia, we have like a traffic court and then we have provincial court. Well, in Virginia, the general district court is the court of original jurisdiction for all misdemeanor or infractions. So um, it, it is split, like a lot of times in a lot of uh, jurisdictions, you'll have a traffic type docket and then a more regular criminal type docket with things like assault and battery and larceny and things like that. But um, it's not strictly broken into minor tickets versus major stuff. Uh, so on your, on, your, on your traffic day, you'd have DUIs, you'd have all reckless drivings, they put in possession of marijuana on the traffic days. It's more of a way to to divide up the docket than anything else. Okay, interesting. Um, and like when you're dealing with traffic tickets, obviously this this podcast focuses on driving law. So we do tickets, we do mm -hmm. impaired driving, we do strange things that are unrelated to driving, seemingly. Um, but I want to tell the listeners a little more about what traffic courts like in other places right now our province is looking at changes to traffic court to take it out of the courts and deal with it administratively mm -hmm. um, you have something where it's mixed in with everything else in court do you find that's effective um i do i mean i generally they the way they handle uh, really um, high volume is simply to Add more judges, more courtrooms, things like that. Fund the justice system. Exactly. A novel so, so yeah, it, it seems to work pretty efficiently um, in the courts that I'm in, uh, at least in Virginia. Now, I I don't get to the real, real heavy urban courts that often. I mean, there right. there's some places in Virginia that have traffic court going in three courts five days a week. Really? I would have so. thought that you'd have more traffic-related stuff in the rural areas and the non-urban areas because more people are actually on the road versus using public transit. No, there's still, in, in, in Virginia anyway, there's still more people on the road in the urban areas. Now, a lot of my, a lot of my work in the rural areas, though, are not locals. It's a lot of it's interstate traffic. So, you know, people going through 
people from other states get speed related offenses and they don't even they don't remember where they got it until they call me (laughs) and so so how does like you get a speeding ticket in virginia but you're from utah Mm -hmm. how does that work does it affect you at all most of the time the answer is yes so um in the u.s we have uh, the what's something called the interstate compact which i believe there's 45 signatories to so if you're a member of the compact, then generally what happens is if it's a certain class of transaction, um, it gets reported to, to the other state. And then the generally how it's how it's uh, done is the other state would handle it as if it were to occur there in their home state. Oh, really? So, for example, oh, wow. the fact that going 20 over in Virginia is a six-point offense in Virginia, but it, that doesn't necessarily mean it would be six points in Utah. It would be whatever 20 over is in Utah. Okay. Now, there's some exceptions to that. Um, New Jersey treats out-of-states different. Every out-of-state conviction other than a DUI is a two-point offense. And there's a few states where it'll show up on your record but not um, but not necessarily give license points. Um, a lot of clients are fixated on license points, and you have mm-hmm. to kind of educate them. In the U.S. anyway, license points really only relate to your relationship with your DMV. Okay, So unless you're accumulating enough of them to get suspended or something like that, to most of my clients it doesn't really matter. Uh, what really matters is insurance points or anything right what matters is insurance and uh, whether you get points or not all the insurance company cares about is whether you're convicted of something right so they don't care how many points it is they just see (laughs) a moving violation and they're going to punish you for it and so is there a way to change something to a non-moving violation that's a lot of what i do a lot of um, deals that i'm able to get for people involve amendment of charges to um, defective equipment or defective speedometer or something, a mechanism right. by which they can be assessed a fine and cost, uh, typically a higher fine than the ticket would have been, this, the, the moving violation, but then not have the the points or, more importantly, insurance ramifications. So how many, like, you mentioned that your points can deal with your relationship with the DMV and license suspensions. How many points would it take to get suspended? Well, in Virginia, the, the, the general rule is if you accumulate more than 12 in a year, or more than, I believe, 18 and 24 months, then you, that triggers some administrative processes. You can be put on probation through DMV or that sort of thing. But every state really is different in that regard. Okay, interesting. It's not uniform at all. And like, say a regular old speeding ticket going 15 over, I'm assuming they don't ticket for 10 over. Do, do well, they? it's against the law to go <laughs> oh, one sure. over, but yeah. as a general rule, in most of Virginia, you're safe. Uh, you're safe up to about nine over. Never. I think the, the, the lowest speed that I defended that wasn't that I knew for a fact wasn't a pretextual stop was six over. But that that, that cop was just a, a son of a bitch. So, um, <laughs> I will but, make you, you know, say his name. No yeah, no, but most of the time you're you know, you're pretty safe, at least on the interstate if you're if you're at nine over and then at ten they they'll start to do you have a lot of those those pretextual stops? I mean, oh, well, of course. I mean, they won't admit to it, but it's, sometimes right. it's obvious. Usually, the way you know is they, you know, you're, you're defending the DUI or whatever, uh, or whatever or the drug charge, and they pulled you over for speeding, but then they didn't write a speeding ticket. So it's pretty clear at that point. Now, some of them will just say, um, you know, I was just doing that as a favor, you know, because I, mm-hmm. I didn't want to pile on. They were already getting the, the drug charge or whatever. But yeah, because the um, culture like where where I come from, you know, if if the officer nails you with a with a DUI type consequence, they usually don't ticket you for the thing that you did, too, because it's just, you know, why bother? That's true. And, and I think that a lot of, that, you know, very few. I, I don't think many of our our speed-related stops are pretextual. Um, most of the stuff that we see that, I mean, we had um, 
this law passed a few years ago that, you know, one of your rear tag lights is out. Right. I mean, it's so, it's like, you know, and then miraculously, my client said, well, as soon as I got home, it worked again. And, you know, so, you know, it just happened to be that the cop thought that. And then there's been a, a, a number of um, Supreme Court cases over the last few years that um, really have kind of whittled away, I guess, the, the rights that you have if, if, if a, a stop is if, if factually wrong, that doesn't necessarily preclude it from being legitimate. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, the, the, the cop can be mistaken that even the little tag light was out and, and still, you know, the, the, the pound of cocaine comes into evidence, you know what I'm saying? So um, it can be frustrating does, at times. Does it matter how they got from stop to pound of cocaine? Does that... Sure, sure, okay. sure. All and there's, right. there's some interesting cases there. And, um, you know, a lot of times on these speed-related stops, you, you have young people from out of state passing through. They may look a certain way or whatever. And the officer, you know who happens to write really slow that day, and, and then the drug dog, ha- dog happens to show up 15 minutes later. It's just was um, driving by. So, again, the problem you got with that is there's some Supreme Court case law on that, that at some point it becomes stale. At some, at some point, um, if you don't have more than just the, the reason you stopped and the ticket or whatever, you got to write, give them the ticket and let them go. The mm-hmm. problem is is that it's it's kind of subjective and uh, what reason it's a reasonable standard and of course reasonable that depends a lot on your judge that, yep. that's deciding it so um do you do juries for traffic tickets you can really you can you can do uh you oh can do God. jury for a speeding ticket if you like, want waste 12 people's time for a speeding yeah, ticket. yeah for sure for sure virginia is really different though we don't do many juries because uh, we're one of the few states left that uh if a jury convicts you that they also sentence you Oh, so and uh, so and judges have the authority to deviate downward from a jury recommendation, but they never do it. So, for example, uh, we have the Virginia sentencing guidelines uh, just to give a a more pronounced example on a felony. um, If you've never been in trouble before and you sell cocaine for profit, then uh, your sentencing guidelines, if you're convicted of that, you probably spend nine months in the Department of Corrections. Oh my the statute itself, though, says that's punishable by five years to 40 years. Okay? You're kidding me. No, right. So wow. if you sell cocaine and you have a jury trial and you lose, and then the jury, tri- the jury comes back, first of all, they can't give less than five years. So even if you get the lowest, the lowest sentence, your five years is obviously more than your nine months. But if they give you 40, you're going to do 40. You're going to do 85% of 40 years. And you can cry all day long to the court and say, hey, what about, you know, this is no different than that case over there. The judge would just say, you chose a jury. The jury is the conscience of the community. And that's what he's getting. I want to go back to this issue we were talking about, about stops, because it's something that I'm sure you get asked all the time and I get asked all the time, you know, on on what basis can an officer stop you? In Canada, the law is a police can stop you at any point to check your licensing sobriety fitness to drive and insurance is that the same in no 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 i mean you have to have you have to have so wait you're saying that they can pull you over for any reason they want well any of those reasons or an offense okay so So i'm I'm just going to randomly stop this car to see if the driver's sober that's totally lawful okay no you can't do that so um you know you have to have what's called reasonable articulable suspicion that there's a crime being committed okay um the, and that includes a traffic offense that includes any any traffic offense um 
or it could it could and it, that includes non-moving offenses. So if your you know your your uh, uh, registration may be out on your car, your sticker may be dead. You know the tag light. You know like I mentioned things like that, a defective equipment issue, that sort of thing. Right. Um, or uh, you know you could commit you could not commit a moving violation, but all those things, a number of different factors together could still um, you know get to this threshold, which is um, you know sort of like um, you know, in, in America, if anyone's familiar with U.S. football, so we, you know, reasonable doubts like down at the three-yard line about the score and, you know, uh, a civil case, preponderance of the evidence, that's like midfield. And this reasonable articulable suspicion to stop is somewhere around your own 20-yard line. So it's just not out very far. Right. But you got to have something. But sometimes in DUI cases, you might have a combination of weaving within your lane, you know, driving too slow, it's two in the morning, you know, you're in a you're in an area with a bunch of bars. Right. Okay. Okay. So all those things, even though none of those violated the law, there are case you can make the, the government can make an argument that all those things together in the mind of an experienced officer gives them reason to stop someone. Right. Um, some judges though are really really strict on that. I have a judge who who's a real stickler that you better have something real good if there's no moving violation or no or no actual legal violation. Um, but yeah, so it's most of the time it's a violation of the law in some way, and then uh, the rest of the time it's some combination of factors that give the officer a reasonable reason to look more to see if something illegal is happening. Right. Um, with regard to the licensure issues, no, I mean you can't even in in Virginia, um, even in a small town, you're driving down the road, you see Billy Bob who graduated from high school with you, and you know Billy Bob is suspended. His license is suspended because you were in court as an officer last week when he got his license suspended. You pull him over right then um, without running his ta- without running him first to make sure he was suspended. It's an illegal stop. Wow! You, personal knowledge isn't even enough. So that's... you, you got to have a reason. You know, you got to. And, and of course, that's <laughs> and easy. The reason isn't, isn't that you actually watch yep, the suspension. Yep, that's not good enough. You got to call in. Got to call in and have him run it to confirm it. Before that's you crazy because if if in Canada, if you had, you know, if you were officer son of a bitch and you saw billy bob who you saw get suspended in court last week driving you you'd probably be in trouble for not stopping him well no i mean i'm not saying the officer is going to let billy bob go but no. a good officer <laughs> has to call uh, call dispatch and have call him dispatch. run the plate and I'm, I, that probably just takes a few seconds exactly but you'd be surprised wasn't how often there a they, uh... case though out of i think it was like the ninth circuit court of appeals about running people's plates and information without a basis for doing so in the first instance? Uh, you know, I, I don't know, like, knives are going to Possibly, possibly, <laughs> but, um, you know, to me, I mean, going, I'm not familiar with that specific uh, case, but to me, I don't, it doesn't seem like you'd have a reasonable expectation of privacy uh, to your to your license plate that's visible in the open air. I, I can't imagine how that would but be But what about correct. the information associated with the plate? I think this one... I'm trying to remember. I think it was a case where it was a they had an automatic license plate reader. Uh, that and, now that is a different issue, maybe. Okay. The technology, I think, raises potentially a different issue. Um, I, you know, I'd be and Canada is not the U.S. and I, I know uh, there's probably more minority groups in Canada than I'm stereotypically one might think of. But at the <laughs> same time, if we were if our officers were allowed to to, to pull people over for for legitimately no reason. 
uh, you know, poor, I mean, most black people in America wouldn't be able to drive the 20 miles to work. They get pulled over right. 18 times in 20 miles. I yeah. mean, it's, we have, I mean, um, not to the same degree they do in the United States, but we certainly have issues with that. There was even data that came out just last week from, um, where I'm from, from Vancouver about random stops being done by, um, our Vancouver police department, um, disproportionately three times higher than the amount of people are represented in the population involving oh, oh, black yeah. people. I'm so. not surprised at all. I mean, and, and the thing is, is that um, black officers do it as, at as high rate as white officers to black people. It's, it's really interesting uh, uh, that, um, you know, it's, it's a fascinating subject, but um, there's, I mean, traffic attorneys in the U.S. have a kind of an ongoing joke about, you know, what, what's your, what's your client charged with, you know, well, driving while black. Right. And, uh, yep. you know, it's, and, 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 and there's some truth to it. The reason things are funny is because uh, there's a hint of truth in them. And, yeah. I mean, and, we have, and for, there is. for us, it's driving while native, but yeah, yeah exactly. It's, a, it's so, a real problem. So, yeah. well, okay. So what if you could have people in Canada take away one thing about driving law in the United States from your knowledge, recognizing that you're in Virginia and so it's often state specific, what would you tell them? Well, I tell anybody who's not from the Commonwealth of Virginia, if you're going to go through Virginia, let me. Speed is no joke. Um, you know, most of my practice has been financed on defending one single law. It's the our reckless driving by speed law in Virginia. Um, anyone going more than 80 miles per hour it, it can be charged with this crime called reckless driving by speed, um, which is a class one misdemeanor. It's a criminal offense, the same level of offense as a drunk driving, believe it or not. Um, wow. So we have most of our interstates are 70. So Literally, most in most of Virginia, going 11 over, same level of offenses, DUI, assault and battery, driving suspended. Uh, also, there's no expungement of convictions in Virginia. So, you, you know, you, you get nailed for 82 and you decide just to pay that. Um, you know, it's, uh, six months later, lo and behold, your your insurance is doubled in New York or wherever you are. And you can't get that job you wanted driving a bus because you have a criminal record, reckless driving for the rest of your life. And uh, so... If you ever get stopped for something speed related in Virginia, um, then then call an attorney who knows what they're doing um, because it may be more serious than you think. And and the other thing I would give, the other advice I would give, I don't know how it is in Canada, but look, never take legal advice from police officers or court clerks. <laughs> yep. Um, they I <laughs> mean they will <laughs> they will say you know oh that's no big deal you know oh, don't worry about that. Yeah. Well, it'll be too late when you find out they were wrong. So yep. there's plenty of lawyers who will who will spare five minutes to give you some free advice on, on a speed-related charge. So, you know, pick up the phone, give them a call, and uh, be advised before you proceed. And how can people pick up the phone and give you a call if they need your help? Well, you can find me on the internet, Fisher Legal, F-I-S-H-E-R-L-E-G-A-L.com, all one word. Or uh, you can uh, toll-free 1-800-680-7031. And um, we're open 8 to 8 Eastern, Monday through Friday, and uh, probably on weekends soon. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. All right, Paul. So it's back to you. Really? Back to me? Back to you. This is an exciting day, you know, the uh, exciting week in Canadian history. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Historical. But it's exciting and it's also depressing. Well, Jody Emery has been talking about all the depressing aspects of it. Oh, but did you, you missed... C forty six. No, I know, and and the, and random breath testing. That's a different depressing. But you know yeah. the 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 cannabis advocates, um, the uh, and I you know I've been labeled a cannabis advocate, and I guess I am. But the um, the many cannabis advocates are very upset about the 
number of other offenses that have been put in that are frankly ridiculous. Oh yeah. But guys like Kirk Tusa are talking about you know the you know legalization 2.0. Yeah, um, and it's, so it's not going to be far down the road no. before we start fixing all of these stupid things. But you know, we, the, the 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 legislation now just has to be enacted. So right, um, and they've given the date, um, October seventeenth. That's going to be the effective date for both C forty five and C forty six. So despite my blog post and my opinion piece and and you know all the media interviews that I did today, turns out that the Senate. Uh, it basically abandoned all of their principles when it came on to, C46 yeah. and it's been uh, it's been passed so uh, it's going to be um, enacted the same day yep and you know the funny thing about it as angry as I am about it as upset as I am about it uh, it's gonna lead to nothing but litigation and yep. I suppose we're gonna make more money um, yeah, but I, you know thanks for the work yeah I know but I mean I, I'm not you know we do fine yeah. um, we make a good living. We do a good job. We, you know, clients come back to us because we're successful and we do a good job and we try and treat people well. But the, um, you know, I, I, you know, one of the ethos of our office is that we try and charge as little as possible for whatever mm -hmm. we do. Uh, part of my theory and, you know, Kyla's theory is that, uh, you know, part of our, our ethical obligation to our clients is to try and not charge them more than what we think the work is uh you know should cost and so we try and price it even below what we think it should cost sometimes and, yeah and we try and do it very quickly you know you settled seven traffic tickets today and you probably settled you know three other files and i settled a few things you know already this week and mm -hmm. um i've already resolved about six files and that's because we work fast yeah. So we can do it for cheap. Well, but, I mean, but, but, uh, there's also, you know, the the five hours of sleep a night that I'm yeah, getting. But yeah, yeah, well, I get between one and a half and, and seven yeah. hours, you know, <laughs> depending on the on how busy we are. But the, um, the thing is, I'm not, you know, we're going to make money off of this stupid, stupid, yep. stupid fucking legislation. It's, you know, and it's, it's, it just takes it out of people's pockets, right? This, yeah, it's awful. And, it, you yeah. know, the quote that all the senators were saying the first go around in the Senate was that defense lawyers came and said, it's going to be like Christmas for defense lawyers. And they're right. It is going to be like Christmas for us. You're just going to increase the number of impaired driving prosecutions, the length, the complexity, the number of challenges at various stages. Thousands of people Every are going to have them stayed. They're going to be dragged out it's Supreme a, Court of Canada. There's yeah. going to be Jordan delay applications as a result of the quandary and the uncertainty in the law. It reminds me of that Dolly Parton song <clears throat> where it's a hard candy Christmas. Like, you know, Christmas is great and there's candy, but it's hard candy. It kind of sucks. Like, I don't want... Don't you know the I don't, song? I don't know that song. Oh. I know Christmas in jail, Christmas in jail. Well, Had a little too much to drink. <laughs> I ain't got no bail. I don't know that oh, one. Christmas in jail. It's yeah, good okay. Now. All right. Well, I, yeah, I was thinking, you know, Hard Candy Christmas. Dolly Parton. Listen to it. It's a good song. Yeah, it make well, you cry. Yeah. Uh, makes me cry every Christmas. Yeah. That's my my Christmas Eve cry. I have a, I have a glass of Baileys. And <laughs> good. <laughs> anyway, as I make myself vulnerable on the podcast. Um, no, but it's it's like that. It's it's this this awful thing because you have, you know, I'm not. I I wouldn't call myself like the biggest patriot or anything, but I am very proud of the charter because I think the charter is a good piece of legislation. I think it's sensible in that it sets out you know certain legal rights, and it also has a mechanism whereby those can be balanced, and it 
that's good. That makes sense. It's a good way to deal with the law and rights and, and the government and, and all of that. And this is just so contrary to the charter. It just gets me down. There's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Okay. So you've gotten into the, the philosophical stage of depression about C-46. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. I... I don't think that will solve this legislation. I think. Okay, so I'm, I'm the guy with who's going to go in there and seek to have the legislation struck down. I mean, the, the reality is they can go ahead and pass stupid legislation yeah. like this. If it's unconstitutional legislation, it ain't going to last. Did they it's learn It's just that it's going to take a long time. But did they learn nothing from the Harper government? From C2 they, and the they, end of evidence to the contrary. I know. Well, well I mean, look, we laid that out. I put it into podcasts. We yeah. talked about it. I, I did it on media interviews. I testified before the Senate. I testified before the House. Actually, and I testified before the Senate on delays, explaining yep. that this has caused delays. Yep. And in fact, some of the same senators who... Denise Batters. Yes, exactly. Were on that, uh, on that same panel when I testified there. I was trying to explain that, you know, changes to drunk driving legislation inevitably are going to lead to delays if you try and do things that are questionably uh, constitutional. Mm -hmm. And if anybody has paid any attention to why we have this podcast and also the entire development of the charter in Canada, uh, what you'll know is that most of the major groundbreaking charter cases come from impaired driving cases. And that's a great thing. It's fantastic. It's because, a great day to be a drunk driving because, lawyer. Well, no, it's not that. I mean, it's fantastic that, you know, but for drunk driving cases, I mean, it's sad, but but for drunk driving cases, we would not have nearly the development in our charter law over this period of time since the charter came out. And, you know, who, who knows what direction it might have gone. Um might have gone completely different, you know, a, in a completely have, different because direction. Because the only yeah. other way that, that charter rights really <laughs> significantly arise in criminal cases is in cases where it's, you know, drugs. Yeah. So it's drugs and guns. And, yeah, you and, know, and admissions and things like that. Yeah, but I mean, admissions, statements. it's so limited, right? You're not going to get the intersections of sections 7, 8, 9, 10A, and 10B that you get in almost every impaired driving case. No, no, no. I mean... That's look. like why my charter notice in every case is 7, 8, 9, 10A, and 10B. And then they're looking at me like, what? And I'm like, it's, they're all here. <laughs> yeah, just write it down on one sheet of paper yeah. and photocopy it over and over again. <laughs> here you go. Here's the charter notice. Just read the middle section, legal rights, yeah, all just, of them. We should just put the cross off the parts that don't apply. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but, you know, I, I guess people kind of have to thank drunk drivers for their rights. Nobody's yeah, going to like Nobody's going to like that. No. Nobody's going to like that. No, but, nobody's, yeah. but Happy what? to have charter rights? Thank a drunk driver. Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, that's not the angle you want to Probably pitch. not. Anyway, please, uh, you know, anybody who's heard that, don't tell anybody. <laughs> no, tell everybody. Because I think that maybe we'd have a little bit of a different attitude overall about sort of the vilification and the anger and the um, uh, and the, the stigma that makes people so depressed and makes people so like, I mean, you, you meet the people that come into the office sometimes how, how sad uh, they are sometimes to the point of being suicidal and it's because of that social stigma but there is you know there is as with everything bad or maybe there is no good or bad and thinking makes it so but um there is with every bad thing some good things well al almost every bad thing will leave out you know concentration camps for kids 
Yeah, I mean, there's some things that um, drive home that there is, uh, you know, you can you can argue certainly that there are certain things that are objectively bad in the universe, but yes, <laughs> concentration camps for kids being being one of them, <laughs> being, and, and yeah, not and be... not and not a joke by any means. No. And it's just pure full-on child abuse, and can not just condoned by the government, you know, done by done the by the government with in 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 plain view. Of their entire country I don't, and the I, world. I cannot understand how there is not, like, a civil revolt in right. the United States right now. And I know this is off the topic of driving law, but it's important enough that it warrants discussion. That's, that's exactly what I've been thinking. You, you and I haven't talked about it because we've been so damn busy lately. But the but I, also, I, I kind of, like, feel like crying every time I think about I it. I know, I know. And you, you want to not look at it when you see it on the news or something like that. Uh, but really, like, if this was happening in Ottawa, I would be on an airplane I would take my tent and I would I would adjourn my trials and camp out on Parliament Hill with I a sign. Phone every reporter I, would, I know. Uh, yeah. I would tweet, tweet at every politician that's ever said something to me or liked a tweet or was yeah. at a committee that I testified at. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, you're tearing up, Kyla. I am. <laughs> me too. I know. It's 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 just it's horrible. And you know, I don't know. Like I I grew up in a very tight knit family. Um, you know, like all my cousins are still like close, like good, good friends. We're all, we all hang out. And to think like that you could just be torn away from your family. I know. I mean, you're trying to come to the United States under this mistaken belief that you're going to have a better life. It's horrible. Yeah, it is absolutely horrible. It is unbelievably horrible. It, the fact that it's taking place again, so many people have been talking about it, that it's, we've slipped into some dystopian nightmare. Uh, where the uh, Trump government is is worse than any any bad novel that we've read about, and, and you, you, I don't know. Maybe I talked about this before because I did discuss it before. But you know, when I was in university, uh, particularly in my fourth year, I was reading lots of stuff about German history, and there was a really good book called the Weimar Republic source book, which was translated into English articles from newspapers and journals in the Weimar Republic. And you could you read that, and you know this is long pre-Hitler, but you could see the the things that were building, and lots of people foreshadowed, explained, like they they had lots of people had a very good idea of the direction it was going, and mm -hmm. reading that and knowing that the Germ you know Germany at the time was probably the most sophisticated country in the world uh, when you know that happened uh, and and the Nazis took power I always wondered how the fuck did this happen how could this happen in this well-educated society and now and, we're seeing it and now we see it and now you see the mechanisms are plain and simple like you know I came up with my theories of the mechanisms and looking at it and reading the the uh, the scholarly literature at the time when I was still you know doing my third year university or fourth year university uh, but now I mean it's just plain as day there it is that's yeah. what you do you you know you you make some people the enemy uh, you know, you put the hate on for them, um, and you're an asshole, and you get a group of assholes around you who are bullies. Or or a group of people who um, are disadvantaged and who you can manipulate because of their disadvantage. A lot of Trump supporters are people who've been, you know, without work, who've lost their jobs, who are looking for someone to blame, and, and he's he's preying on that. But you, 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 you take... Those people, you prey on them, what they've done. They've they've told them these other people are the enemy, and they've said they're not really people. Yeah. And so that's, you know, how it happens, and that's how it happened to the to the uh, Jews, homosexuals, and gypsies in Europe. 
um, under the Nazis, and now we see it in the United States. And the the upsetting thing for me, talking to Joe McGrath, okay, when we were in Texas, yeah. um, all of these lawyers uh, we spoke with basically had a pretty good understanding of where they were, uh, you know, where the United States is in the world. Um, you know, lots of people observed it coming, uh, and they feel like they don't know what they can do about it. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, yeah, it's, um, it, it's hugely distressing. What I will say is this, if there are any American lawyers out there listening to this podcast, if there is any way that Paul or myself can help, I know we're not lawyers who can practice in the United States. Uh, we don't know your laws very well. Um, but if there's anything that we can do, please, please, please contact us. Even ponying up some dough. Money. Uh-oh. Money. You need some emergency lawyer and we can come down there and get special permission to do emergency hearings. If you just give us a little bit of case law, we'll do it. I've been waiting for American I'll adjourn a trial to... for that. I know. I've been One waiting... judge would say, no, Kylie, you can't go. No. Um, we've been waiting for... Uh, American lawyers to to step up and start fighting this thing because that's um, that's one of the things that uh, seemed to be working at the beginning of the Trump mm-hmm. regime was American lawyers stepping up to challenge sort of these uh, these uh, discriminatory laws of of uh, at the border for for letting people in from certain countries and things like that. That was small potatoes compared to what we've got now, and I don't see the same. Uh, legal backlash, and that concerns me greatly. And back to the Nazis, you know, I hate comparing anything to the Nazis, but unfortunately now we have the closest thing we could. You know, it's not three steps away from the Nazis. They're basically fucking Nazis. And, um, and uh, you know, under the Nazis, the courts actually did some things. The first um, euthanasia program, uh, which I think was in Perna in East Germany in Saxony, uh, there was a judge who uh, issued an order to stop them from um, murdering mentally disabled people. Good. Uh, and the Nazis didn't know what to do. And uh, they went back and went to try and murder you know, more people, and he issued another order, and they didn't know what to do. Uh, and there was a few lawyers who were trying to do things, and ultimately that judge retired um, or was shown the way out. Mm. And that was the end of that. But, uh, you know, the courts tried to do it. And we think that our courts have much more power and much more authority. Um, you know, we see them not flexing their muscle, uh, a lot of the time, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And if you don't flex that muscle, you're not using it and you're not going to have it. Um, and that was basically the mistake in Germany at the time was it didn't have the muscle, uh, to be able to stop it. Well, you know, I don't know it, it, we are seeing that America is a failure uh, with respect to the division of powers. Yeah. Because this many months on, you know, it shouldn't, the, the, Trump should not be the president. He should probably be in jail, and, and many of his other officials should probably be in jail. Well, I'm hoping that works out, but I mean, the, this this issue with the children has lasted as many days as it has. Like, I mean, if that were happening here, I would have filed an application. I would have been like, I don't have standing, other than I'm a human and I have a heart, and this is ridiculous, and yeah. I, I just... Well, I, I think the court on its own accord. I mean, we've yeah. had the court on its own accord do things do in all Canada. All sorts of stuff. The court on its own accord looked at the constitutionality of the polygamy laws. Hmm. Well, without an application, though, yeah. there has been the, the court in in the, Vancouver, BC Supreme Court judges yeah. on their own accord on they one were just occasion. Like, yeah. We're going to figure out if this is constitutional. Yeah, I know. 
So I, I'm, I'm amazed. Many U.S. judges would like an argument about why it's unconstitutional. I can give you one off the top of my head. Yeah. Anyway, so that's a very distressing thing. We didn't plan on talking about, but um, the, the everybody should be talking about it. You know the the. Um, and if we have to go off topic for something that important, then we have to. Yeah. Well, we should talk about it more another day, and, and not wait. Yeah. Anyway, if if there are any U.S. lawyers uh, listening, please reach out to us. Uh, tell us what we can do to help. Uh, our website is VancouverCriminalLaw.com. The number is 604-685-8889. And we're ready and willing to do whatever we can. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Um, That's a really heavy note to end on. Are we done? Is that? We're done, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go cry. Thanks, Kyla. I've enjoyed this podcast. Yep, thanks for coming on. I will also cry, but by myself, because I don't want you to see me cry.